invite you to turn your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 14. We'll be reading the entirety of this chapter. Romans, chapter 14. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version, as is my custom. invite you to follow along as we read this corollary passage to our study in 1 Corinthians, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 14, beginning verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more. But rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. But to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. Well, it is good to see all of you here, and I'm going to do a little review because I'm pretty sure that not all of you are going to take a CD and listen to it before I get started here in the next minute to catch you up to speed on where we are in God's Word. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and we are going to be talking about our conscience and our Christian life about offending others and what that means. And I'm going to have to define the terms again for you. I know I did it last week, but uh, as Chris said, most all of you weren't here. I really should introduce all of you as visitors to Brad here, who was here last Sunday. He knows, so it's good to have. This is the other half of the church, so they do exist. But it is good to have all of you here. Well, as we look into 1 Corinthians chapter 8, we had to make some definitions last week. And they're going to come into play as we consider uh, really the last handful of verses in this chapter. Uh, We want to remind ourselves what we are dealing with. When we are dealing with issues of offense, we are not dealing with hurt feelings. That is really foreign to God's Word's idea of that. We are not talking about, they hurt my feelings, I'm offended, they need to uh, 
apologize or get right or set it straight. That's really not what's involved in these passages that are dealing with offenses. That is that the walk of one Christian offends another Christian's sensitivities. That's really foreign to these passages. I'm not saying that there isn't some need to address those issues. I'm just saying that this passage, Romans 14, that we read earlier, and others like them, really aren't dealing with that. They're dealing with something much more significant than whether you have your sensitive, your feelings about things. Certainly, your uh, feelings are a part of it, and they're involved, but when we deal with conscience, what uh, you in your heart and in your mind and your life view as right and wrong, we're dealing much more about how you feel about things. We're dealing with things that you have genuine convictions about. And that when they are offended, that they bring into question in your mind either your walk with the Lord or the other individual's walk with the Lord, that we are generally struggling actively with, is Christ real? Is this thing called Christianity genuine? Is it genuine in my life? Is it genuine in their life? And that's really what comes into play under this idea of offending a weaker brother or putting a stumbling block in their way. It's not that I hurt your feelings. Oh, you know, sorry. And uh, uh, we had an old expression when we were growing up that uh, my, whenever uh, we get easily offended in that category, um, my parents would say, oh, you got your feelings spread all over the floor. You know, no one can walk around you without damaging them. And you're going squealing about it. Um, and there's people that live that way. But we're talking about something much more significant than just uh, how you feel about, you know, beef. You know, I mean, we're, we're talking about something more, more uh, and how you feel about whether you like chicken or not. Uh, this is something much more significant. This is about what is it to walk with God? What is it to define myself as a Christian and to come to an understanding of what is righteous for me. Now, that sounds very subjective, but it isn't. There's going to be some subjective elements that, you know, one person's going to think this and another person's going to think that. And do we have the maturity for those of us who are mature to realize that those differences are out there and we do not uh, ignore them? But rather, we investigate them, we recognize their importance, and I would contend that at this point in the Western church's life, we have gotten to the point that because we have not recognized those importances, those, those important elements, that we have produced a generation, not just this generation, but several generations, where it means really nothing to be a Christian compared to what it means to be a pagan. It essentially, there is no difference. Because we haven't taken, I contend, because we haven't taken this passage to heart and we have drawn on the idea that we are strong and therefore we are going to live this way and we can't call this wrong and that wrong, that we have not only offended our weaker brother's sensitivities, but even the world's ideas that now we cannot even well define what Christian living really should be. And the pendulum has swung so far that we have gone far beyond personal preferences and now we find Christians walking in open sin and we're afraid to call it that. And this is what was going on in Corinth in the day. And so Paul gives this warning. And again, the other idea that we wanted to define and to carefully instruct ourselves in as we get into this passage really comes into uh, the idea of knowledge, what you know. That there's a difference between our mental assent to a, a fact and wisdom. That many times for Christians who have been so for some time have been raised in Christian circles they get the idea that I know all the stories, I know all the principles, and therefore 
um, I'll just live according to them. And they get what Paul describes here as puffed up. They become arrogant in that. And you can't question what I'm doing because I know I have a Bible verse I can back this up with. And therein is the problem. It's because while you have gotten a cursory knowledge of a principle and you seek to apply it in your life, um, you've done so without balancing off with the idea of love. And we saw that with the Galatians who were going to the extreme of legalism and here in the Corinthians who are going to the extreme of liberalism, we find this simple balance that true godly knowledge must be tempered with love to be expressed properly in the church. Let me share that again. True godly knowledge is balanced or tempered by love when it is expressed in our lives within the church. And only then is it honoring to the Lord. And so we think we have some ideas of, of our liberty and our freedom. We have some ideas of the constraints, but God's Word calls us to this balance point. And yes, there are several things I know the Bible say. I know that the Bible tells Timothy to drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. And I know that every alcoholic knows that verse. Every single one of them. Every social drinker knows that verse. For some reason, they don't know Proverbs says wine is a mocker. They don't see the impact of it upon society. They don't think in terms of the impact upon the relationships around them and upon other brethren. And so they participate because they have the right and the liberty because after all, Paul let Timothy do that. And the Bible says that only drunkenness is sin uh, and they've got it all worked out. You see, what they have is knowledge without love. And a little knowledge is truly a very dangerous thing in Christian circles when we try to live it out for ourselves. Because ultimately, what that knowledge does is says, I have this. I have this liberty. I have this right. I know this verse. I don't have the full principle fully understood in the wholeness of Scripture, but I've got this one verse. Never mind that he's referring to a medicinal issue. We ignore that part for your stomach's sake. But Timothy was dealing with some medical issues. I was asked this week if I'd ever had alcohol. And I says, oh yeah, I've had alcohol lots in my life. Actually, the first thing I says, no, I've never drank alcohol as a beverage. But I have had alcohol. It's called NyQuil. And pretty much every winter I end up with NyQuil a couple nights a year um, to get me through those illnesses. But we have a little bit of knowledge and then we, we take that knowledge and we run with it and we puff ourselves up that somehow we are righteous in doing wrong. But you see, love is the other idea. Once we mix the love of God and balance it off with this knowledge, uh, cursory knowledge, then we begin to enter into wisdom that says, listen, my responsibility here is not for my own rationalization of my behavior. But rather, my responsibility here is to minister to others. My responsibility here on earth, my job, my mission is to reach the lost with the gospel of Christ and to call them to Him, to be light in a dark place. And I want it said of me what is said of God, in Him, He dwells in light and there is no darkness at all. Why do I want to play in it? Because I have the liberty to do so. Yes, I know that there are some occasions that I can do that, but I choose not to. Tonight we're going to serve communion. Yeah, we're going to use grape juice. Oh, Jesus used wine. Probably not. And I had... Big issues with people in Israel over that because I served communion to a mixed multitude there um, of all kinds of denominations and all kinds of things. They asked me, I was the only pastor on the tour, serve us communion. I was like, okay. And they offered it either wine or grape juice. I said, it's going to be grape juice. And, the, and I explained why to the people. And, oh boy, on the bus ride. 
Oh, it couldn't have been. I was like, trust me, they had at least three ways to preserve grape juice from being fermented. They could have unfermented grape juice whenever they wanted. They were pretty smart back then. You see, we take these issues and we want to run with them because we want our rights, because we're good Americans. But the Bible says, Christian, your job is to express the love of God. That is your job. It's to draw people to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And why do we insist on rationalizing the presence of a little bits of gray area in our life when we are called to be an example to the world of what a Christian is and draw them. We are to be light in a dark place. You take a light, flashlight, whatever, and you start putting little black marks over it. At first, it doesn't seem to make a big difference in the amount of light that it's casting, does it? Put a little dark marker right there. You put a little dark marker there. But you keep doing that and pretty soon that light is becoming significantly diminished. But the fact is even one has diminished the light even though you haven't maybe seen it, recognized it as such. And so we are called to balance our living with yes, I have the knowledge that here is right and wrong. Here are the areas that I can engage in, yet I'm not worshiping the idols. I'm not worshiping the God of this age. I'm not worshiping. I'm not involved in sin per se. But as soon as I begin to muddy the light of God's righteousness, we've got issues because I'm no longer living love. So knowledge is to puff ourselves up. Love is to build up others. Remember last week we talked about here's this puffy thing and it just goes, it can go flat really quick. You build something, it's solid and enduring. What do you want? You want to have an inflated ego that's going to be popped by God on the day of judgment very easily and quickly? It's not going to take much time to stay in His holiness and realize, what have I done? Or do you want to show up on the day of judgment and have something enduring that you've built? And let me share with you, that kind of ministry of edification, of building up, requires a love that is sacrificial. That says, I don't need those things in my life if they tarnish Christ. If they make it difficult for people to be able to distinguish between what is godly and what is ungodly, but if it's difficult for them to say there's a radical change when once you accept Christ, then I'm going to make sure that that's not in my life. That's all introduction. Now let's get into our text. We're actually picking up in First Corinthians, chapter eight, <clears throat> verse nine, is where we left off last week. I'm going to read the entirety of the chapter, because so many of you were gone last week, so you can get a kind of a build-up to verse 9 without a lot of commentary. Verse 1 says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Therefore, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is no other God but one, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge. For some with consciousness of the idol until now eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? And because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? When you thus sin against the brethren, 
and wound their weak conscience. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Let's go, Lord, in prayer together. Lord God, we thank you for the word before us. We thank you for your spirit within us. And we pray that we might be attentive to his working in our life, that we might grasp the significance of this passage, understand its meaning, and bring it into our lives as you would have us. Lord, this is not something I'm up to doing for anyone in this room. So we pray for your help. Guard this time from my philosophy or any other man's. From our opinions, how we feel about these things. Lord, we place ourselves before you humbly and ask you to teach us. That your spirit might direct us. We might leave here recommitted or perhaps committed for the first time to truly serve you in all of our living. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm struggling this morning a little bit on how to present the nature of how far we have failed this passage in our Christian circles and where it has taken us. It is come to the point that in this idea of being puffed up is epitomizes most who are mature in the church. And being offended epitomizes most who are outside of the church and weak in the church. The problem is they have become so offended and so weakened already in their weak state, they don't even realize it. I say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm still trying to figure that out myself a little bit here. We have come to a point where we, have, and I shared this last week, that we picked this up and ran with it back in the 50s and 60s, 70s. And we, this idea that we have this great liberty, this great liberty, this great liberty. And we moved ourselves away from very strong positions of our forefathers in the church Uh, who took strong positions, even to the point of developing covenants together, saying we will not participate in naming off a whole list of things we would not participate in at all as Christians, covenanting together. That we will not, and I I shared with some of the young adults um, Tuesday night in our Q&A time, pastor and pizza night, um, that uh, uh, those are foreign to most all of our, new believers today. Uh, And if I listed them off, you would be shocked. The covenants that I had to sign to join a church back then said that I would not ever use alcohol or tobacco recreationally. I would not ever attend a movie theater. I would never play with playing cards. I would never I mean, it goes right down to this list. Participate in this. And you would sign that as a covenant to join that church and I will never participate in these activities. Who came up with that list, with that covenant of Christian living? Well, they looked around their society and they saw where the world was living. And they said, listen, when Christ gets a hold of you, all these vices and all these, this gambling, all this stuff, is, are, they're all vices and we can see the destructive nature of them in our culture and our society. And so we would uh, sign these covenants that we would not participate in them at all. And you might say, Pastor, you never went to... I, I don't go to movie theaters to this day. I don't go. I watch DVDs and you say, well, what's the difference... Um, there is a difference. I have a mute button. I have a fast-forward button. I have a turn-off-and-break-the-CD button. They don't let me do that in the movie theater. You know, I'm going to burn that screen down. You know, I can't do that. I have control in my house. When I'm there, they have control. So, no, I, I don't participate in those things. And, and you might say, does that make me weak in the faith? And this is the issue now. I would contend it makes me mature. 
because I'm strong enough to realize even though I may have some liberty in these areas and many, many others, I recognize that this is what the world engages in. These are their gods. And I'm going to disassociate myself from those gods, not because I'm in danger of believing in them. At this point in my Christian walk, I'm really not in danger of that. Hollywood, as much as they have tried, is not going to change my vocabulary. And yes, I'm very careful with it. And I, and I, and I struggle with some Christians that, that use the, the slang profanity uh, and think that's okay. And I'm, I'm, I, I'm tolerant and i not tolerant. I'm patient. There we go. That's the correct word. I'm patient with that. And say, you know, that's just a form of my Savior's name. And who's your Savior and Lord? Let's be careful how we use it. And so I'm at the point that those things aren't going to uh, draw me into a, a worship of them. But here I stand saying, I choose never to participate in those. Why? Not for fear of myself, but for fear that the world looks at me or some brand new Christian looks at me and says, oh, well, Christians can do that. I was doing that before I got saved, so it must be okay. There's no difference, is their conclusion. And what a horrific conclusion that is. Christianity, that there is no difference. The day there is no difference when you receive Christ as your Savior from before you, that event to after that event is the day Christianity is meaningless. And that is where we are today. Christianity means nothing. My daughter got a Belly full of it. Valerie, she's in the nursery, poor girl. She probably needs to be here. We were invited to go hunting at the last minute this week over to Texas. And, and uh, they had a spot and they knew that I was out of meat. And so they know to call me to go kill whatever they want me to kill. And I said, who are we riding with? Oh, these are two good guys. And I was like, are they smokers? Because I can't handle being in a vehicle with smokers for 10 hour drive. Nope, nope, they don't smoke. I said, okay. Get there, I meet them. Yep, we're, uh, oh, we've been, we're members over at Legacy and we've been going there for years back, uh, you know, when it was Victory Love and, you know, okay, these are, my, I can just see it, my daughter, these are Christian men. This is going to be a great trip. We got all Christians on this trip. <clears throat> About a half hour into the trip, you're a preacher. What do you think? And, you know, I have a beer every now and then. And, and uh, whenever they say they have a beer every now and then, they're alcoholics. Okay, that's what I've concluded. Um, because they couldn't get through two days without going through two cases. Okay. What's wrong with that? And right there it went. What's wrong with that? And I went through all the scriptures of what's wrong with that. I talked about righteous Noah who went, got drunk and the curse on Cain that was a result of that. I talked about uh, lying as a mocker at your enemy. It's making fun of you. It's destroying you. Talked about all those things. Did it change? No. Well, but why? I feel good when I said I need it to unwind every night when I get home from work. I like to sit down with my dad. Is there anything wrong with sitting down with my dad and drinking, having a conversation with him? See, there's righteousness. That is of God. And then there's selfishness. Where we want to participate in something for my own enjoyment because it feels good without regard for anything else. And of course, our conclusion by the end of that night was, by the end of that trip, was these people aren't Christians. 
They use God's name in vain. They're cursing around my, myself, my daughter, and my, how many times I try to correct them and say, hey, don't need to use that language around my family. And these are men who are actively involved in the church and portraying themselves as Christians. And I say it is the result of ignoring this passage. Why? What has happened is the church has become puffed up in its knowledge of its quote-unquote liberty. And in so doing, new believers and unbelievers alike are looking at our living and concluding there is no difference. I do not need to change my life to become a Christian. I can add God in. I can add Jesus in without having any radical transformation going on in my living. And so nothing fundamentally changes in their heart. They know, I mean, he knew, and every time I said something, they know it is wrong. They know that if you can't go to sleep at night without a few beers, you are not where God wants you to be. This is not recreational drinking anymore. But they're living that way. Why? They never had anyone call them to a different life. I can trust Jesus. And the next thing down the road, about a half hour farther down, we were going to talk about, or maybe it was first, maybe that came first and the alcohol came second. Um, He wants to get a tattoo of a portrayal of Jesus on his body. Boy, don't even get me started on that. He was like, you know, the, the fire of Judah. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about there. And I know my Bible. And he's like, you know, the Judah on fire. I said, the city of Judah on fire? I said, there is no city called Judah. There's a tribe called Judah. And he says, yeah, it's got a lion with a fire. And he's looking it up. And I'm like, okay, that's the lion of the tribe of Judah, which is a description of Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Try to explain it to him. So I wants to get a tattoo of a lion coming, ah, attacking um, and I said, but the Bible also says that Satan goes around the earth like a roaring lion. That didn't affect him at all. Lion of the tribe of Judah. Rah! And then he wanted to have the fire. And I said, well, that's referring to the God reigning fire of judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. He's like, cool. I was like, no, they're horrible sinners. God judging them. That picture is saying either Jesus is your king or he's your judge. All he saw was a cool tattoo that got him the two things he wanted and on his body. We're not even going to begin to talk, you know, I'm not even getting into tattoos and all that. And I'm like, what? You need to trust Christ as your Savior. I'm a good guy. I'm a pretty good guy. I was like, and before we left the weekend, find out his wife's leaving him because he's having. Fidelity issues. And these are Christian men. And here this guy who makes no claim to Christ, no claim to a church, is hearing these two. And my job, you know what my job is? My job is to be 180 degrees different than those two men in the front seat. Why? They were destroying Christ in front of this man with all their Christian liberty. But the fact is they themselves were victim of someone before them who says, we are freeing Christ to do whatever so you can just keep living the way you've always been living and there is fundamentally no difference. And once there is no difference between a pagan and a Christian in terms of lifestyle, there is no light to call anyone out of darkness too. And this is the fundamental issue about causing our weaker brothers to stumble. And so we are warned, beware. Beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. Here they are, they don't have a clue what's in God's Word. They think Judah is a city. They don't know that it's a tribe of Israel. They don't understand that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. They don't understand any of that. But here they are, weak in the faith, and they have been stumbling because no one 
has recognized the need to draw them out of their worldly life into a godly life by example, by teaching, by edifying them. We don't do that by setting up a legalistic system and making them adhere to it. We do that by being an example, by patiently teaching them God's Word, and then to communicate to them by the radicalness of Christ living in us that that kind of radical living needs to go on in their lives. See, they're so closely connected to that life that they need a dramatic calling out of it. Yes, I know an idol is nothing. It's a rock. It's a piece of metal. You can put food in front of it all you want. It's not going to poison the food. I can still eat it. But to that Christian, that idol is still a god. And to those men, alcohol was still their god. How dare I take one swig of anything ever? And let them confuse the fact that it's okay that you can add Jesus to your other gods in your life. You see, we have brought a stumbling upon this the church on such huge proportions now we don't even recognize it. I don't abide by the lifestyle that I have Because I'm so weak in the faith, I think I'm not a Christian without it. I abide by it because I recognize that in this world, there aren't examples of radical work of Christ in people's lives. We talked about television last week as the God of this age, the God of this generation. And media in general, it's not just the TV, it's the internet and the Things like that. And, and it, was it any surprise that that was another one of those? You know, I don't, did he ever have it with not have his fingers going on this iPod or, you know, should call iGods because that's what they are. Little iGod. Um, constantly. Couldn't live without it. I mean, we're walking out, we're, we're riding out there in the middle of the savannah and you've got animals from Africa and Asia running all around you and he's... And Valerie would say, look at that! And he'd look up, it's gone. <laughs> and finish the sentence. What was it? It was antelope. You didn't see that? He didn't see anything. Too busy this, with the eye god. We have designed, and it is by design, we have designed a Christianity that has no power. It has no influence. It has no impact because there's no difference. And we have caused others to stumble by our Christian living that is based upon knowledge puffing us up instead of wisdom. It says, listen, if I'm going to have an impact around here, I've got to have, i got to be light I have to be different. I have to, I have to have the work of Christ going on in my life to such a degree that I don't need this other stuff. And you might say, oh, pastor, you've sacrificed this, you've sacrificed that. Baloney. If love isn't about sacrifice, it isn't love. First of all. Secondly, once I find out what I gave up, I suddenly realize, well, I'm a whole lot better without that. And my life is fuller and richer and freer now that I don't have that in my life and that in my life that I gave up because it wasn't different. In my family, I call my kids weird and it's uh, when they hear that, when they hear Dad say, you're a weird kid, um, I'm not putting them down. That is a compliment in my home. I want my family to be the weirdest family in Albuquerque. I really do. Don't you want yours to be different? I want that my kids as friends come over and say, this is nothing like how I live in my house. 
You people sit down together and eat together and you have conversation together and you expect to have hard questions and, and not easy answers and, and you do stuff together. You have fun here. This place is weird. Why is it yours? Is the question. You see, when we aren't weird to the world, we are causing a great big wall to be built. Not just a stumbling stone. We have built stumbling walls that keep people from any interest in Christianity because there's no difference. And we think that we are living our liberty by doing that baloney. You're living for yourself. And you care less about them and their eternal state. Christ died for them. He gave up His life for them. We can't give up our vices to reach them. And this is the idea here. You might say, a passage like this is supposed to call us to not be... No, the passage like this is to call us not to this idea that I can do whatever. Yes, the principle is is that food is not... Whether you eat this meat or not, whether you participate in this or not, but fundamentally, what difference are you making to your society? You see, the brand new Christian really in his heart knows there should be something different in my life. And then we take him out and say, well, let's go throw back a couple and talk about it. Really? Where's the difference? Where's the difference? question is, are we the cause of the conscience of the lost around us and the conscience of the weakest Christian among us to go back to their old life? And that's the question in verse 10. If anyone sees you have knowledge eating in the idol's temple, I mean, these people weren't just eating the meat They even went into the temple and ate it. Sound familiar? They're not just having a beer at home alone, no one around. They're out of the bar. As long as I'm not drunk, Pastor, it's okay. And here's this new Christian going, I've got a new life in Christ, abundant and free. I'm going to be godly. I want to live for God. I want to be righteous. And I'm going to get that stuff out of my life. And then there you are. Here this guy is eating me in the idol's temple. Nonetheless, the guy sees and says, Oh, well, I guess not a big deal at all. I guess this Christianity thing isn't any different. I guess I can serve both gods. And that is an offended brother. Why? Not because his feelings are hurt. I want you to understand that. An offended, weaker brother will not have their feelings hurt. They will join you in that sin. And you've offended them because you've brought in to question their very salvation. They are going back to their old life before Christ. That is the greatest offense you can do to someone is to have them go back to their old living ways. And then what happens? Christ means nothing because of us. Saying, you can do that and be a Christian. I can do this and be a Christian. I can wear this and be a Christian. I can listen to this and be a Christian. I don't know if we always use that voice, but we're sure we can do all these things, listen to all these things. Oh, my music is between me and I know. Uh, There's no difference. Are you prepared for the wait for all eternity of their souls because you didn't want to make a difference in your life? I'm not serving them. You're not serving God either. You're not serving God either. I'll tell you who you're serving is yourself. That's the only one you're caring about, is you. And that's called being puffed up, arrogant, 
proud. You're not concerned about building up the body of Christ. That we be light in a dark place. Verse 11 says, Because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish. I want you to see that word. We're killing off not only every opportunity to bring Christ to people, but you're killing off everyone who makes a profession of faith. Because they're watching you. And you know what they're looking for? They're not looking for, are you a person I can get along? They're not looking at you and saying, are you popular? They're not looking and saying, they're they're looking at you and saying, is there a difference? That is what they are looking for because they already know the misery. They already know the heartache. They already know the guilt. They already know all of that. They want to know, is there something different? And you sit there and say, oh yes, Jesus will make a difference. You'll be forgiven and you'll be free. You'll have peace that passes understanding. And so they believe you. Then they get saved and they find out your life's no different than their life before. And you have the same miseries they have. And their conclusion is, Christ isn't real. And you know what the end of that statement is? They'll perish. Christ died for them and they know it. But because of you, and your arrogant living, they'll die without Christ. They'll perish. You have sinned against Him. It says in the next verse, this is sin. So yes, you have this principle. It's okay to have a little alcohol as long as I don't get drunk. Because drunkenness is the sin. Let me share with you, it is sin. Put a stumbling block in front of a weaker brother. And in our society, it's a sin for you to exercise your liberty when it destroys the testimony of Christ to the lost and to the newest Christian among us. Or the oldest Christian who's weak and still thinks that that's, that you can't participate in that and be a Christian. I don't, I don't see how you can... Square that up. That's a God of that age, of our generation. That's a God there. Why am I fooling around with it at all? And Paul says, listen, in our age, it's about me being offered. And if it's an issue and it comes up, then I would rather to preserve the very essence of Christ making a difference in people's lives. I will not ever eat meat. And the concept there is that's been offered to idols. So even though this specific application of the principle isn't here today. The principle is still very, very much alive. And I would contend like Corinth, we have... It's worse than Corinth because we've been doing this for a full generation and a half. And our language isn't any different. We still complain. We still bellyache. That's sin. We still are disrespectful. We are still foul, profane. Our entertainment is no different. We know all the shows that the world knows. We know all that we have the same characters. We think the same jokes are funny. We watch all the same movies. Our diet is the same. Our dress is the same. We're just as immodest. Just as the same. When we look, sound, and are like the world, even though you maintain that you are a follower of Christ, you are in sin. Because you are not living the love of God for others. Then I'm going to close with an example from the Scriptures. John the Baptist came and he lived out in the desert. And he wore 
very bad clothing, harsh clothing, hairy stuff, uncomfortable stuff. He ate disgusting things. Called people to repentance. The Pharisees went out there and made fun of him. Christ comes and he's going to eat in sinners' houses and he's um, going from one celebration of his arrival to another. He's having feasts and the Pharisees come and condemn him. And Christ makes a statement, you know, John the Baptist came, he didn't eat or drink and you condemned him. I come eating and drinking, you condemn me. And the issue wasn't fundamentally that. The issue wasn't really, should you eat locusts or should you uh, eat with uh, tax collectors in their mansions? The issue was the heart of rebellion in the religious people. It wasn't the people, the general population, they saw a difference in John the Baptist and they were drawn to it. They saw a difference in Jesus Christ and they were drawn to it. In each setting, they saw a difference. It was the religious people that were the problem. Because in their heart, they didn't want to surrender to God at all. And for that reason, they stand condemned by Christ. And I would contend that the church is in that state today. I'm not telling you all to go out and wear camel's hair and eat locusts and live in the wilderness. You already live there. My question is, is your heart in such a state of rebellion and self-orientation? Are you so lacking in love for the lost around us and for the weakest among us that you insist on exercising what you call your liberty? That when you do so, it is sin against Christ. You're sinning against your brother, but Verse 12 makes it very plain. You wound weak consciences, and you are. 